The Third Man Podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun celebration of Jack White and is in no way directly affiliated with Third Man Records or the man himself. For the definitive history of Jack White and his music, please consult your local Jack White. And for everyone else looking for a home, you found one here, in a place so seedy. Enjoy! podcast the jack white and third man records history program and i am your co-host paul kaminsky i'm your other co-host james kaminsky and today james yes we've got quite an exciting one yes speaking as the aforementioned authorities on women's issues basically all issues every issue everywhere i'm just kidding you and i are going to be taking a look at the history of women in indie rock using the white stripes as a anchor piece for the broader discussion, women in music since the the turn of the millennium. And to do so, we have a roundtable discussion that we're going to be hosting here filled with some different perspectives on the matter. And I'm very excited about this, James. Yeah, we often talk about how Meg, the drummer in the White Stripes, is kind of the focal point of that band, the reason it exists in the first place. And, uh, she was like a force to be reckoned with in, in the millennium <laughs> era, I guess. I've never really thought about it as the millennium thing in the aughts. Why 2K, James? Um, yeah. Sure. Um, yeah. And so to do that, we're joined by a couple special guests today and uh, hopefully more as we go along. But uh, to start here, we'd like to welcome back Kate McCoy. Kate, welcome back. I think, when was the last time? You were on here, you're on here a bunch, but like I think the first time was the Mick Collins. Thing? 
So we no, we actually even before that we had done like either one or two episodes just about like white like maybe white stripes collectibles because we talked That's about right. you know yes. I have the get behind me Satan promo and the pick disc. I have like a couple of just odd things, but I mean clearly the Mick Collins episode. I was thinking back to the different episodes we've done, the Mick Collins episode forever. Yeah, my favorite. My face hurts. I'm smiling. <laughs> it's a good memory. Yes. Uh, so Kate's been a, a longtime affiliate of the show, expert in all things White Stripes and Jack White, and we're thrilled to have her back here. And we'd like to welcome to the show Terry, aka Lady T. Terry, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. I'm excited to be a part of what you guys are doing. Yeah, it's so nice to have you here. Yeah, you and I met through our mutual friend Ryan, and right. Uh, yeah, and we've we've sort of spoken on and off over the the last couple of years, but uh, this is the first time we're we're chatting with each other, sort of at least with a video component. So that's exciting, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and you have a long history in the music business, both in front of the mic and behind. Let's say, yeah. And uh, we're excited to get to know your perspective on things as we go forth through this topic here. But I guess you know the the premise of this episode really came about when. I was actually listening to a Beatle podcast where they were talking about how women were classified during Beatlemania, which is basically a lot of, you'll hear the label hysteria often as associated with Beatle fans, lady Beatle fans at the height of their popularity. And what that does is sort of reduce the role of women in the propelling of the Beatles to popularity to just this sort of homogenous screaming blob, which they very much were not. In fact, they were probably the largest revenue generators for the band and for the music business at the time. And through publications like Tiger Beat and teen magazines of that day, were really the forerunners of music journalism, just in general. Like this, we're talking a world before Rolling Stone, a world before really anything like that. And so it got me thinking, it was like, yeah, you know, there's a lot of discussion about that sort of era. But during the indie rock boom, sort of 90s into 2000s, you get... All of these different acts, and I would say maybe a good 30 to 40%, maybe not even that high, had strong women presence. Certainly in the Detroit music scene, where you have people like Rachel Nagy, but you also have Meg White, who's this big figure, one half of the White Stripes. And so that got me thinking, you know, Meg takes a lot of flack from people and stuff. And I wonder, I wondered what it was like just from a fan perspective and then from a, a label perspective, from an artist perspective on the different facets of what it's like for women in indie rock and in music in general. So with that said, Kate, I guess I'll start with you on the fan side of things. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about your experience growing up as a music fan and a woman and, and some of the dynamics that were at play maybe in rock shows or record stores or things like that. I, I know one of the things that my wife, who also works in comics with me, one of the things she always got was sort of the side eye at a comic book store. Like, oh, is she, does she really know what she's talking about kind of thing? What has been your experience in that sort of sphere? Yeah, so um, like I was like just kind of thinking back to that time frame, especially as the 2000s um, were kind of coming around, you had – women in music like Britney Spears or people that had been like, you know, that had grown up singing, dancing, being on Disney shows or, um, you know, I was thinking about like the Lilith fair women oh, yeah. who were kind of like at the end of when I was in high school. But again, like all of these people who had like this formalized, like music was like a part of their lives since they were, you know, young. 
And I think like what was cool about the 2000s was all of a or that time frame, late 90s, early 2000s, was all of a sudden like people were like doing it themselves. And I remember being at the end of high school and going to see a Bikini Kill show and just sort of like I'm from this very small, small town, really sheltered and and people were were going out like just sort of having my hair blown back. Like all of a sudden, like, you know, these people were teaching, they were playing their own instruments. They were, you know, yelling and singing on stage and like, just sort of like having like, Oh, wow. Like everyone can be a part of this, like in a, like a new and cool way. Like it was something that could be enjoyed, but that you could also feel a part of. That's, that's what I remember thinking was really cool sort of in that time frame. you know, my love for the White Stripes, certainly. I mean, I remember hearing their album, like, again, I think late 2002. And, you know, I'm just a sucker for a two-piece. I say this all the time. Really loving that big sound from these two people and the stripped-down, like, just more simplistic drums or more just kind of, like, just holding down that beat drum sound. So I think that what was cool is that it seemed approachable to me. because of the white stripes. I mean, I'm not, I mean, I always say like, oh, I'm the world's most okayest drummer. <laughs> you know, like we, there's t-shirts at like one of my favorite drum shops that has, you know, that you can buy that say that. And I always <laughs> think, gosh, and I've, and I've played for years and years now I should be, you would think that I would be like much, much better. But I just think like, like it just made music. I don't know, like that time, I think it made music feel, at least for me, like more accessible. Like it was something yeah. that, that I could be a part of in a bigger way. And that was really cool as a fan. I kind of can see where that would happen. I, I also think you're being a little too hard on yourself because I played drums for a few years and then I gave it up because I was the world's worst drummer. So you're good. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> don't beat yourself up over that. Uh, would you say that the Stripes fandom was more or less or just different in terms of welcoming than other garage or indie rock fandoms that you've you've kind of experienced? Well, I think definitely the White Stripes, you know, so niche. And I mean, like, and I've been a part of sort of that third man world. I mean, I have dear friends that I've made through that. But I think at that time frame, you know, especially as a woman, you're right, like going into a drum store, even certainly maybe not now, but but even like five years or 10 years ago, sort of feeling like a little, and, and maybe this is me too, but feeling a little shy and, and cert- not everybody would sort of give you that side eye, but saying like, oh, my favorite band is the White Stripes. I always say like my favorite band is the White Stripes, like White Stripes still at that. I mean, I certainly love all kinds of music, but a lot of people and particularly like male drummers be like, I remember saying like my goal at first was to be able to play every song, like just kind of go through their discography. And somebody said, well, you can do better than that. I was like, well, I, but that's what I want to do. That's what I want to sound like. Not that I didn't want to play other stuff, but I don't, you know, I didn't want to be like a Neil Pert. There are plenty of people doing that. And, you know, that's fantastic too. But yeah, I do think as a woman and you sort of get, and maybe particularly back then, sort of like a side eye or like women don't really belong, like, Mm-hmm. here is everyone else i don't know like, you know where there's just a great example mm-hmm. of that i remember that bikini kill show like they said women can come up to the front like bring the women up to the front because everybody's like jumping around and, and moshing around they were trying to keep the women that were there safe this can be like a safe space for you sort of feel like you can sort of feel like you're on the on the fringe like you're not a whole part you're just a mm-hmm. small part yeah I, I i one of the things i've noticed about the third man fandom i guess is uh and unlike beatles fans in general is that most of the moderators and people who organize these groups that devoted to the the bands and the record labels and stuff tend to be women which is unlike any other kind of fandom i've been a part of and it's it's kind of refreshing because for the most part it stays pretty i want to say what's the opposite of toxic safe uh <laughs> it see it seems it seems less <laughs> Yeah, healthy. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Um, Because there's not a, you know, there's obviously plenty of male bullshit that still pops up from time to time. Clearly, we've discussed Meg gets shit talked all the time. But there is a lot of pushback to that. And I think there's a lot of understanding that that's not acceptable in vast swaths of the fandom, which is nice. Yeah. So I wanted to turn now to Terry and talk a little bit about your path into the music business as i had mentioned earlier you and i met through ryan who was at atlantic records and i know your relationship with him was tight over the years and i just wondered if you could tell us a little bit about your journey and the dynamics at play when it came to being a woman in the record business on the label side we'll get to the artist side in a moment but you've had several jobs across warner uh, sony and universal i read and um, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your respective roles and your perspective on being a woman in those perspective, uh, respective roles. Okay, well, the thing is, the way I got inside of the labels is because as a woman and as an artist, I wanted to know everything about the business. So it went from me being the receptionist, to me being the office manager, to me being the studio manager, to me being the A&R admin person. Now I'm assisting the president of the company, continuously just moving up in different departments. And the best thing that I say about 
working with the president, although some people may feel as though like that's the top so you don't get to move forward or out of that position. The thing is, you're still hands on with every other department that has to report to the president. Mm -hmm. You get what I'm saying? So that was my way into the industry. And while I'm learning all the different departments, everything that each person mm -hmm. does, of course, I work with the president so I can ask him any type of questions that I may have. You know, so I kind of took that position and I looked at it almost as though like mm, a paid internship because I was getting paid to learn everything that I needed to learn about an industry that I wanted to be in. And I'm also getting all the resources and making all the connections. So that was my way into the music business. The first label I worked at, it was actually with a black woman who owned the company. So she owned Gospel Centric Records. She owned Lily Mac Publishing and she later sold it to Sony. Oh, so okay. when I say it was like hands on, it was hands on. Then later after that, like she had a huge name in the music industry. Everybody was looking up to her and how because she started her label in her garage. She started the label in the garage with a loan from her father. And she made these big artists, Kirk Franklin. Brothers and sisters, I want to welcome you back to life. Back to the one that can make your next chapter your best chapter. Hallelujah. How can it be that you love the most unlovable part of me? Of me. How could you see your life was the Brenda Clark Cole, Byron Cage, these are all huge. Once she sold the company to Sony, then she also ended up buying Central South Distribution. So I'm learning from like people that are really making these big moves. After that is when I went over to Electra Records. And that's where I met our friend Brady. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so what were you doing at Electra? What were you doing? So at Electra, I worked with the president. It was easy for me and it was lenient because I worked with the president of Gospel Centric was like Devil's Wearing Prada, that movie. You know, like that lady, the way she wanted things. So when I got to Atlantic and Electra, it was easy because I'm so used to like being on top of everything, everything. So I'm really like, they're so impressed with me because of the way that I do things from the label before. So because of that, the president of Electra. He knew how much I was on top of the job. So where he gave me so much room to really be able to walk around the office, learn different departments, do whatever. And that's where I started hanging with Brady, learning what he does, everything in marketing. And then I ended up going to Motown. And when I went to Motown, I worked with the president. She had dual presidency. She was a president of Motown and the president of Universal Music Group. So again, I'm learning so much there. And then I'm also working in the marketing department. By this time, I soaked up so much knowledge that I was able to leave and do my own thing. 
So I left there. I did my own thing with marketing. And that's when Atlantic saw me again, like out in the streets doing my own thing, making moves and plays for independent artists. And then they brought me back. So when I went back, I got when I got that phone call, it was a nice phone call. But at the same time, I kind of felt like, y'all see me out here doing my own thing. Why are y'all trying to get me back in the office? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, how dare you stop these big moves that I'm doing to pull me back into an office? So I went back, but I gave myself like, hey, I'm only about to do this for one to two years max. And that's exactly what I did. And I left again. Here I am now. Still doing my own stuff for independent artists. That's amazing. Good lord. Really <laughs> amazing. Thank you. I, I respect that from the ground up. Like that is one of the best reasons I've ever heard to get into the music industry on on that end of it. Yeah. And that's incredible. That's so nice. The thing I didn't like though working at Atlantic was that I had to keep that I was an artist on the low because it was a conflict of interest. So mm. it's like I had to like I couldn't grow my own Instagram page at the same time. Like I had to do the stuff discreetly because if they knew that I was really there just to take the resource. But really, I didn't apply for this position. Like you guys reached out to me because you guys saw what I was doing. Yeah. You know? What happens a lot too is like a lot of artists, because there are talented people that work there as artists. Once they get inside of a label, they really get consumed to that job. And then that's when they stop doing their own thing as artists. And that's what I don't like. Mm-hmm. You got to know your exit plan. So would you say confidence is a weapon in the workplace for you? It's definitely a weapon. So that's <laughs> why I keep it like real humble. You know what I mean? <laughs> keep yeah. it real humble. Really humble and like on the low. But those that know, they know. It makes total sense to me that the littler label would probably ha- run a tighter ship because when you have a smaller family owned for lack of a better term label you know especially one that's run by someone of color and a woman it's probably a lot harder to get recognized Mm -hmm. in an industry so you need to unfortunately run a tighter ship and you know when you have someone a a bigger label like sony Mm -hmm. you know are probably you know they have a behemoth (laughs) and they have so much money to throw behind something that they can they can yeah. they can be a little looser and a little less controlled, but like that is probably the the best training you could get is is from a, a label like the smaller one. How would you grade the culture in your experience in the music business for women who are on the rise? I mean, obviously, this is our first time talking beyond sort of Instagram DMs and stuff, but I would say confidence is a strength of yours. But how would you grade overall how women are positioned in the music business to succeed power position to succeed yeah like is would you find the playing field level i would assume not but like is there disparity and where do you notice disparity and are people in your experience often given the tools to succeed or is the deck sort of stacked against them as i would assume it is but i don't know I think that in this industry, women, we have to prove ourselves more. You know what I mean? So, of course, the the cards aren't even. You have to go in and you have to really prove yourself. And if you don't have self-confidence, it's not going to work. You know, you have to know without a shadow of a doubt that you're the best at what you're doing or that you're capable of doing this. If you don't believe it, you're not going to be able to show it. 
you're you're gonna show doubt from the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to go in there knowing that you're the best at this or you could do this and or you have to go in there with the attitude not as though you're trying to prove it but more like watch this right right you get yeah. what i'm saying like i don't have to prove it watch this just yeah. just sit back and watch this and once you have that attitude all they can do is sit back and watch <laughs> you know it it's one of those things where even if you say something wrong we know that you're just hating and you're just <laughs> trying to find a reason because I know that I'm the best at what I just did. Yeah. To bring it back to the to White Stripes, I, I don't know how familiar you are with the band in general, but Meg, who is the drummer in the band, was lacking a lot of that confidence. She had a severe anxiety disorder and was very soft-spoken and kind of along for the ride in the band for a while. I mean, she was a major component of it, but she had Jack White there to push her along a little bit because clearly she didn't want to be as famous as he did. But that lack of self-confidence, I think, is in part why a lot of people got angry with her and Jack, for that matter, because she wasn't able to stick up for herself or her potential or her skills. And on top of that, Jack White was constantly put in the position to be the one to be her hype man, basically. (laughs) You know, he was constantly saying she's the best, but he was always the one talking, and so people then gave Jack a lot of flack for that and it kind of put her in a in a strange position because she I don't think yeah. was had that sort of confidence to be able to do that. It's almost like smelling blood in the water or something like that and I guess people are more inclined to take shots if they feel like you're not um if you yourself are da- if you're doubting yourself in the process. But Kate, I want to turn it back to you for a moment. So in the third man world, you know, Jack and crew, I think tend to highlight a considerable amount of women artists, arguably maybe somewhere in a 50-50, almost split kind of situation, at least today. And while artists like Margot Price have gone on to achieve sort of broader fame outside of the third man sphere, people more within that sphere, like your Olivia Jeans, like your Karen Elsons, things like that, whom I personally adore, are often the subject of bullying. I know Olivia faced some really harsh bullying last year was it last year the year before something like that it was right before jack went public with their relationship in general negative attention from the fan community and i similar to the question that i asked terry i was wondering if if you had to place a letter grade on third man's inclusivity in that regard and a letter grade on how you feel the fan community's reaction to that inclusivity is what would it be yeah, so I I feel like they do a really good job of like highlighting women. And maybe you kind of touched on it at the beginning, you know, Detroit had, I felt like I found the white stripes and then I sort of like was able to sort of look at that backlog of like Detroit bands that should have made it that didn't or should have been just as successful but weren't. You know, like the paybacks with Wendy Case.
you know, certainly the dirt bombs having co, um, but you know, third man does a great job. I, th- I think of that. So I'd certainly give them an A and I think, I think as somebody who is also sort of like a little quieter and a little more soft-spoken, you know, and probably a little leery of situations. I've never like it. Now the bigger third man events, like when there's concerts at Bridgestone, like that doesn't always feel like safe to me. And I remember the last time I saw Jack at Bridgestone, you know, the guy behind me dumped a beer on me and I was like, well, what can you expect? We're just all here at Bridgestone arena. Like that's like, that's an arena show, you know, just in general. But for the most part, like the, the fans that I interact with regularly, the people that I see over and over again, you know, I think we're all familiar with when Jack has a show, you'll look at the front row, the photos from the front row and you're like, Oh look, there's Mike and there's Colleen and there's Yvette. Like you're looking for those same people. And you think, Oh, those people make me feel safe and cared for all the time. And they're looking out for me. And if it, it just seems like a, a smaller group and I think they do a pretty good job for the most part of being open to differences, open to women, open to different types of people, respectful of people. And back in the day when we used to all camp out at third man to get tickets or to get a record, you know, when that kind of stuff, at least for me, went on more, it's right across the street from a homeless shelter and people were respectful of, you know, for the most part, people are very respectful of, you know, the mission and, and people who are, you know, getting their drug treatments or, or unhoused or, you know, any, I remember one time like Ben Swank, like just yelling at someone you know, who I think was drunk or, or something like that, but just like screaming at someone to get out or to get in line, you know, like, come on. I've, I have seen the hate particularly directed to to Karen, to Olivia, Jean, and I'm just, I'm just baffled. I'm just baffled by that. And, and that it comes from other women. That's really disheartening too. you know, to kind of think about, gosh, like, I mean, just like the hate that they're putting out there in the world, you know, they all, I always think that the, the internet's written in ink. But clearly not everybody thinks that, you know, like there's just a lot of stuff that gets put out that I think people are probably, maybe they're just feeling really strongly in the moment, but there's a lot of, there is a lot of crap felt that in those, yeah. in those groups. I think those groups get an A all the way around. Yeah. The anonymity of it all definitely contributes to that kind of hate, which is one reason why I steer clear of the third man Reddit. I, I'm sure it's fine. I just, there's a no name and face to anybody there and that freaks me out and i at least with facebook i could go like yeah you look like an asshole like it makes sense but with, <laughs> but like everywhere else it's like ah uh, mm. james lost his proud boys membership because he wouldn't go on the reddit <laughs> i had to return all my tiki torches it was a real problem yeah, was, no tiki for james my favorite is that you see somebody saying something just so derogatory about somebody and then if you click on their profile it's like living in the light, you know, all good vibes. And you're like, what? You know, like you're, you're basically a troll. You're like, you know, hating, just spouting this hate. You're you scrap the weapon, it's coming loose, you can 
once you realize like people are trolls and they're miserable, it doesn't affect you. You get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Well, no, no. I definitely understand that it can affect people, but at the same time, I'm like, once you accept the fact like, yo, this person is a troll, or this person is just miserable, and this is what they do all day, then it's like, you just brush it under the rug. But I do understand that some people can genuinely be affected by what they're reading online, you know? So you have to have tough skin. You get what I'm saying? That's what it, you got to have tough skin to be able to read all those comments. So perfect example, I, I never suggest for new artists to get on this site, World Star Hip Hop, because you're not going to get any good. You're not going to get any good comments. I know you want a million views because you can get the views. But are you prepared for those comments that's about to come? So where would you suggest an artist go to? I have to. Is it is TikTok just the place to go now? I suggest, I mean, you can put it on, put it on your own page. You know what I mean? It's the blogs where you're going to see all the trolls. Put it on your own page. Nobody that's on your page is coming on your page like to hate, like they do the blogs. The blogs is a open space, open opportunity for everybody's opinion. But if somebody is genuinely following your social media platform, it's because they like you, you Mm -hmm. know? That's, yeah, yeah, that's great advice. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, let's turn it back to you, Terry, to talk a little bit about the artist side of things. So in 2018, you cut the Strictly For My Women LP, which was your first full-length hip-hop album. You had released some singles to that point. Uh, hip-hop is, as I mentioned at the top, is yet another sphere of the music industry known to kind of glorify misogyny, which has been put under the definitely uh, sh- has been shown a light on recently with things like Megan Thee Stallion's trial and things like that. But I would argue artists like her and like Cardi B, and I guess you could kind of date it back all the way to Lil' Kim and Queen Latifah and people like that. But there have been some shifts in the right direction. And I was wondering if you could talk to us a bit about your journey on the artist side of things and maybe some of the struggles and triumphs along the way as it pertains to you being a woman in that atmosphere. So as an artist, like you said, I have my project Strictly For My Women. And Strictly For My Women is an album that's just that. It's Strictly For My Women and it's aimed to motivate, inspire, and uplift women from top to bottom. Ones that struggling and the ones big living. Ones getting paid and the ones handling business. Ones that want it and the ones that's getting there. All you need is an ounce of ambition. The mind friend to pay your naysayer no attention. Your drive and your faith is what makes the big difference. They can't see where you headed, let them keep their distance. No time for nobody that can't see your vision. Validation ain't needed. Follow your intuition. Smash on that gas and that gutter ain't dipping. With all them haters at the bottom looking up to you wishing that they would have did it. It's they bad that they didn't. Now they gotta sit back and just watch you get it. Dreams that you dream, they gotta watch you live I have tons of men that also love it. But when I made this project, women were in mind. And the reason why is because I really felt that in hip hop, we needed songs and we needed music that genuinely embraced women. It's not about competition. It's not about, I got that WAP and I'm going to take your man. It's nothing like that. You get what I'm saying? It's more like, if he not treating you right, 
right, leave them because you deserve the best. You deserve all or nothing. It's not about I got this and you don't got it. It's more like keep going. If I got it, I know you can get it too. That's the type of music that we genuinely need. What happens in the industry is that I feel like they don't really have the marketing. They don't come up with the ideas to genuinely market a woman without having her sexually explicit. You know, Mm -hmm. so I feel like if you don't take your clothes off and you're not naked, the music industry is going to feel as though you're not marketable. But you don't have to use your body to sell music, because if that's the case, why is it only like that for women? How come the men don't have to get naked? You get what I'm saying? Like, I mean, the men don't have to get naked, but they could sell music with women. I feel like. You have to look at artists, although it's taking it back, how Queen Latifah, she wasn't naked. You know what I mean? The Brat, she wasn't naked at all. And the Brat was one of the first women to go platinum off of her own. Like a first solo artist woman to go platinum was the Brat. She was nowhere near naked. She was dressing like a tomboy and everything else. Um, Missy? Yeah. Missy Elliott. I think it's really about like creativity and also embracing yourself. I don't know if, because I personally don't know some of the women artists out there, but I don't know if they do it because they know it will attract attention or if they're doing it because this is genuinely who they are. I have seen women that have turned into the sexually explicit women when they weren't like that. And they turned into those sexually explicit women because that's what the labels were encouraging. And the labels encourage that because they're looking at the other successful artists before them and they feel like we need another one of them. But the thing is, you don't need another one of something that's already out. You need something that's different, that stands out. That's why it's so hard for a lot of people to even remember who's who or to easily be able to distinguish which girl is this girl? Because everybody's really looking the same nowadays when it comes to hip hop. Yeah. It's everyone with the colored hair. It's everyone that's half naked. And it's everyone that's talking about the same thing. Yeah. So that's why you have artists like Lauren Hill that will stand out, you that's know? Right. Yeah. And not only that, like she really makes a difference with the messages that's in her music. Is there an artist that stands out to you that is breaking that mold? One that comes to mind for me in in terms of hip-hop is Jean Grey. She is not constantly, she's body positive and all that, but she's not, that's, it's not what her music is about. And uh, she's, she's just a very talented rapper. And is there someone that comes to mind for you? You know, you mentioned Lauren Hill. The only person, I'm not to my own horn, but the only person that comes to mind is me. (laughs) That's fair. That's fair. You're You're allowed allowed to say The only person that comes to mind is me. And the reason why is because not only do I rap, but I also do motivational speakings. And I get booked at schools and churches. And all I have to do is, like, recite one of my verses. So a lot of the rappers now, you can't even recite one of their verses and it makes sense. You know what I mean? When I write my music, it makes sense. It's all, it's, it's written almost like an essay, but it's not an essay. You know? Mm-hmm. To kind of wrap up the discussion a little bit, I wanted to ask you both the same question uh, along the lines of the stuff we've been discussing. You know, indie rock was full of trailblazers, not just from folks like Meg and, and Rachel Nagy and Karen O and stuff, and right on up to, I guess, like Paramore and things like that, I would argue. 
But now the Rockspace's leaders are mostly, if not all, women. We have people like Phoebe Bridgers and Wetleg and uh, Olivia Rodrigo, although she's more on the pop side of things. But now we just had Boy Genius pop up again, which is great. I'd love to ask the both of you, what's your temperature check on where you think the music business is at right now in terms of women and their role in it? And what do you think the future may hold? It seems like it's maybe a little bit more open. Like you now see, like you now see women who are coming in who are not using their bodies or who have different shaped bodies or who are not like fitting into this beauty myth. And even though they're still getting a ton of hate for it, like they're still selling albums and they're touring and we're all buying tickets to go see them. So that's encouraging for me. And I don't know, like, like obviously these people have like way thicker skin than me. I still feel like there's a ton of like, sometimes I feel like there's still like just negativity that surrounds body image or, Oh, you're not looking in or you're not fitting in this way, or you're not saying what we want. But even just mentioning Phoebe Bridgers though, you know, her kind of coming out and saying, Hey, this older male took advantage of me, like in this capacity and people still, you know, I mean, I think, I mean, I would, I would stand in line to get a ticket to go see her. I mean, she's fantastic. So I, I think that there's more freedom. I don't know that it's equitable, but it seems like there is more freedom and more openness. So that's, that's at least a positive for me. Mm-hmm. Women are definitely taking over, even with the roles that we're getting and we're proving ourselves to be just as strong as these men that's in the music industry. I really like too that women are so you of course you have the ones that don't get along but there's a lot of women that are seriously supporting each other now you know mm-hmm. and the support that we get from each other it's only multiplying and we're continuing to make an even bigger impact in this industry so that's how I feel about women in the industry but as far as the industry too I also feel that sooner or later so many independent artists will be able to do it on their own without the labels I think that once they realize like, oh, you need funding. Okay. Figure out how to get the funding. Oh, you need marketing. Figure out the way to get the marketing. They'll be able to keep their creative control. They'll be able to do things their way. They'll be able to own their masters and all that type of stuff. Now with the help of social media, although like social media can be bad sometimes, but there's so much information on the internet, so much information on social media, so many artists being transparent that it gives us the opportunity to learn from other people's mistakes and really make the moves that we need to make. I'm glad you brought it up because I was going to say the trend I'm getting, even on amongst the, the music I'm listening to, the new music I'm picking up, which is predominantly female, is from independent artists who are using you know, SoundCloud, Bandcamp, making their own Spotify page, picking themselves up and presenting their music as opposed to a label trying to sell Mm -hmm. a product. And I think that is propelling a lot of newer musicians of all kind of diversities and genders to at least be accessible at the very least and to at least reach my ears for a lot of it. So it's it's been the internet, though we have the, the Reddit trolls at least, at the very least, gives us a little bit of fresh perspectives in the music. But yeah, it's so promising to think about. It's good to hear it from Terry. And I know a lot of times we think, like, it's going to be in New York, it's going to be in L.A., and then it's going to kind of get to the rest of us. But as somebody who's in Nashville, Tennessee, I'm encouraged to hear Terry say that. I think I'm not really a huge country music fan. There's lots of music here in Nashville. But, um, you know, like, I know I was thinking of somebody that I – 
as Terry was talking, I know Amanda Shires, who's married to Jason Isbell, who gets lots of acclaim for his songwriting, his singing, his touring. She wrote an album this year that just like gutted me. Like it was just written so well. She just, she performed so well and she got a lot of like critical acclaim for it, but I don't think a lot of people are listening to it. She really kind of did it herself. there's still that like kind of just old boys network but it's encouraging to hear if this is happening in LA if this is happening in other places in the country this will eventually happen here too for these people that are working so hard because I it seems like all the music that I've been picking up recently is women as well like I think it's been a theme for a while and it's it's exciting thank you both so much for joining us today Kate Terry it was so nice having this discussion. I really appreciate you making the time and so interesting to hear both of your perspectives. And uh, hopefully we'll, we'd love to have you back later on and, and hear more about your, uh, you know, experiences and progress and, and journeys on both sides of the music industry or all three sides, the fan side, the, the label side, the musician side, you know, it's, it's just very interesting, fascinating stuff. And we thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having us. And of course, we'd love to do it again. Is there a place people can uh, find your music? Oh, you can definitely find my music on all streaming platforms. Just look up Lady T. It's Lady T-E-E, The Difference. And the name of the project is called Strictly For My Women. And that'll be the whole album. All right. Awesome. All right. Well, to further this discussion, we're going to be bringing on a very special additional guest for this episode. Someone who was there, the ground floor of the Detroit rock scene, and who saw firsthand the influx of artists and specifically women artists in Detroit indie rock at that time. So we're going to throw it to our third person this week now. We'd like to welcome a very, very special guest, uh, Marcy Bolin, whom people would know from, of course, uh, the Von Bondies, many other groups in and around the Detroit area at the time of the Detroit Garage and Indie Boom uh, around the turn of the millennium. Marcy, thank you so much for joining us. We're big fans of yours and your music, and uh, it's just such a pleasure to talk to you today. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor for you guys asking me to be on your show. We've been big fans for a while. Pawn Shop Heart is amazing, and yeah, we... (laughs) We're uh, we're super thrilled you're here. So thank you. When I listen back to some of our old songs, there's a lot of humor in mm-hmm. some, especially like our first record. We had a lot of fun times 
writing really humorous things, you know, just like stuff that was happening to us as we progressed as a band and him and I living together and starting a band and living in Detroit around the cast corridor. We just had a lot of fun, like, you know, writing about the scene and people that were in the scene and just, you know, kind of making some fun jokes about it as well. Like not, not necessarily like any kind of negative jokes because back then Detroit was kind of lawless. So it was a lot of fun. You could get away with a lot of things. You could drive around, you could speed around. Like I had an old Camaro that I'd speed around town and you wouldn't get pulled over. Like Detroit was such a different place back then. And also the music industry was a different place back then as well. Cause I know you said you wanted to talk about the difference from then till now. Um, I've been told that we were one of the last bands that actually got paid really well by a record label, that they don't do that as much now. taken over yeah. a lot of things so um yeah it's it's really different being artists now yeah i forget who we were talking to it was a dirt bomb of of some sort i think it was mick collins talking about ben blackwell driving to mick collins's house and like speeding down the road what there was something about it being lawless and him, him mentioning that yeah it was it's a different time especially near the cast corridor but yeah yeah it's definitely not like that now things have definitely come up and Detroit a lot and I think a lot of people are moving to the Hamtramck area I don't know like artists and stuff yeah I just fell in love with like back in the day Detroit and it's not really gonna be like that anymore I feel like we're gonna have to move to Flint or something (laughs) no (laughs) (laughs) there's a cycle to these things you know I guess um although it you know Detroit's various incarnations it does always seem to kind of come back to that, like to some sort of like a grittier state, you know, like whether it's like rock in the sixties and then, you know, branching on through the seventies and then sort of, I don't know. I feel like there's, um, there's always hope for some of that free spirit to return, you know? I think so too. I was getting a little bit sad about the music in Detroit for a little bit. I thought like no one was doing anything, but I've been going more and I feel like, over the pandemic, there were a lot of people working on music and they were able to, you know, buy some instruments with, you know, whatever stimulus money and people just started working on music while they were pulled up in their houses and stuff, which is cool. And I see some of that coming out a little bit more now that people are getting more and more comfortable 
you know, coming out and playing again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's still some rock and roll life in Detroit. And yeah, I agree with you. I think that Detroit's always going to be a place for music. I mean, it has to be. I feel like it's it's what makes us happy here, you know, being creative and being able to play music. It's what, it's, it's what we have here, you know. We yeah. Don't have, yeah. We yeah. don't have, like, as much sun and beaches and like that so we get create we get more creative yeah it's funny you mention um you know some of these newer acts kind of coming up in recent years because i believe it was on your social channels that i found out about that group knower uh i i think that they filmed a video in your like apartment or something right the time traveler video was that yeah yeah so like, you know, there's always seems to be, I know they're not from Detroit, I think they're from Southern California, but there there does always seem to be that next crop, you know, kind of coming up and I don't know, it gives me hope. from new jersey so there's nothing good coming out of that state no no there's not it was it was bruce and that's it after bruce it was just that's over i mean liquor store is fine craig brown oh that's right yeah yeah he but he's he's a detroit native anyway so he's just we imported him Uh, (laughs) craig brown lives in new jersey no 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 but he plays with liquor store which is based out of new jersey um Uh, right (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. People have been asking me to come out to LA and play with them, which is pretty cool. I don't know. It's been working out for me that way, but I'm not really totally in a band anymore. I was in uh Billy Swims and the operatives, but he's been working full time doing commercial work now. So he's been making more money doing that, but we were traveling a little bit and doing some shows in Detroit. He's mm-hmm. from uh, originally from New York city. <laughs>
Yeah, Billy Stubbs and his operatives. So I don't know if we're going to keep doing that, but that's the last band that I played in. And now I'm just helping. Like, I don't want to mention any names right now for the bands that I'm working on in LA because, like, the projects aren't done yet. And I don't know how they want to represent them because it's all kind of new stuff. But um, ultimately, I'd like to work on my own stuff again. Yeah. You know, just out there. I feel like it makes me happy just to work on my own stuff. Like, I don't care if it's going to be like, I don't know. I just have to do it for myself ultimately. Like, I'm not trying to like go on tour again or do whatever, blah, 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 like push it into something. I just want to be happy doing something right now, which I, is how Von Bondi started too. Like, we were just having fun. And we yeah. never thought we would be traveling around the world people just kept like picking us up and saying like oh we like it do you want to do this do you want to do that and we're you know we're like okay just roll with it that's right yeah first anything really you know a lot of people are like why isn't anything happening with my band well i don't know maybe i don't know maybe they're not good or maybe <laughs> or maybe <laughs> i don't know, don't take it seriously because a, a lot of people I know don't take it seriously like when you start a band and you want to do something with it once you see something happening with it you really got to keep working on it and it becomes like a full-time job besides your other job and it and it can happen because I know a lot of people my friend was just telling me that people don't take music seriously they think it's just like a side thing like especially in Detroit like oh no it's just like a little side party thing so they don't take it seriously, but it didn't seem that way in the era we're talking about. So, well, let, let's talk a little bit about that era. So it's the late nineties, early two thousands, and the indie rock scene is kind of really picking up steam. You have figures like Rachel Nagy and uh, in the Cobras, you have Co who's about to join the dirt bombs as well as do her, her own solo thing. There's the Demolish doll Raz. You have Wendy case. There's a lot of prominent female figures in the rock scene at that time. And in this episode, we're sort of taking a look at the woman perspective on that scene at that time. I was wondering if you could talk to us a little bit about those days as a woman rocker in Detroit during the indie boom. You know, there's one would assume that there was kind of a boys club mentality, especially in, in that sort of rockism kind of space. But it also seemed as though that you know, women really carved out a strong, prominent place within the scene in Detroit at that time. Whether that's Detroit grit or something in the culture, I, I don't know. But I was hoping we could get your perspective a bit on on what it was like then for you as a woman in that environment. Well, I feel like um, all those women that you talked about, I mean, I guess I can't personally speak for them, but I've always been kind of a tomboy. Like, I'll, you know, pick up Tonka trucks and... yeah and you know I wanted to play guitar and yeah I know it's more of like they would people would say like oh it's like a guy's thing like my parents like my mom was afraid of me just like going out and playing guitar with a bunch of guys just like she wouldn't right. let me job when I was in high school <laughs> so I don't know if it's like a form I don't know if it's a form of rebellion in a way but it's just how personally I wanted to represent myself like I felt like 
this is a way that I could feel good about myself, like something that I can contribute because I'm maybe I have some ADD or whatever. Um, but using art as a tool was a way I could represent myself. And I think maybe these other women probably feel the same way. You know, we just like hanging with the boys and like me hanging out with those girls. We're kind of like, you know, we'll talk about guitars, like and amps and talk gear and stuff. And I guess it's not really something that, you know, normal, normal women. What does that even mean? Um, maybe, I don't know, your atypical person would do, but yeah, it's just like an art form that I really got attracted to. And it's fun because you like it can get to connect with other people, you know, not like you're sitting in your house painting, you're going out and you're playing guitar and you're meeting people, you're going to band practice, you're having fun and you're focusing on like an art project together with other people like-minded people and um all those women that you've talked about they're really amazing and i feel like maybe kindred spirits with them that um we kind of all felt the same like we needed an outlet like some sort of outlet that made us feel good about ourselves and um connect with people and have fun and just we're not just like hanging around the bar we have a purpose I'm the boss with the hot sauce I'm a demon man I'm a lamp lighter To the promised land I'm sugar and spice I said everything nice I'm peaches and cream You know, we have a, a 
purpose for being around um, the bar because we're being creative and we're also putting forth like something that we love. I mean, I'm a, I love music. My parents, you know, they were always playing records all the time, vinyl records. My dad had a jukebox, tons of vinyl records and you know, it's just something that always made me happy and something that I wanted to create. And I think all those girls could probably agree because they have great taste in music. You know, Wendy Case, Co, Meg White, all those girls are I'm friends with. And they all have great taste in music and they love creating. Yeah. And back then it was like so easy just to go on tour. Like we could just, you know, say, hey let's let's go to chicago or let's go to cleveland columbus maybe even new york and then eventually we're getting picked up by all these people um because the love for detroit like through all of us because we were really like all about detroit like detroit is the fucking shit like we're we're making music we're lawless we're you know living in cheap apartments <laughs> houses and yeah. we're just having so much fun and it made it so easy just to create music and go to the club down the street and play then all of a sudden you know like we're talking about how great it is and how much we love it people from out of state are coming in people are coming to like interview the bands and take bands on tour sign them take them off to Europe, everything. Yeah. Because we're, you know, we're loving it and having fun. Everything was just so, 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 so much fun. And I think that a big part of why Detroit got big is because we were still having fun. Like we're still like living off, you know, the vibes of like the MC5 and like Stooges, all those other bands. and. So if if I'm hearing you correctly, it sounds like it never even occurred to you that you wouldn't be able to do it. It was just something that you did. Yeah, I never knew that that would happen because I was going to college for art at the time and working in the mall selling shoes. And then also like late night having band practice like three times a week, driving up Lanny to meet up with Jason, singer of the Von Bondies. And we like kept trying out different things with the band and you know i still lived with my parents because i was like 18 19 and they'd be like why are you driving your old shitty car all the way out to ypsilanti (laughs) which is like it'd be like a 40 minute drive move all moving in together and just working on the band and um ended up happening but yeah it was just mostly for fun because we wanted something else to do besides the mundane going to college and not knowing what you're going to do with a degree or just working or like selling shoes for like no all like you have to have something else that's fun it's got that detroit uh, like underdog tone to it of like we're too busy like trying to do cool shit (laughs) than to care about to, to really think about any societal problem. We're all just doing it, which I, I love. An outlet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's got that punk rock aesthetic of, yeah, we're all on equal footing because we're all, like, Detroit needs everybody. Like, who? 
you know, it can't just be dudes. <laughs> well, yeah, I would hope so. Because um, <laughs> I would hope everyone would agree with that. Because sometimes, you know, people might get like a little competitive, which is fine. You can be competitive in the art world. But like, just I don't like any of the cutting down. Like, I feel like in the early 2000s, like, no one was really like cutting anyone down. I don't know if that's totally a thing right now, but I feel like a different vibe. And I just want to say, I hope that goes away. Cause I want, I really want everyone to like be really supportive of each other because that's the only way we're going to keep it thriving and going back mm-hmm. to, you know, what it was before. I mean, it can go back to what it was before where we have like record labels interested or just, you know, I mean, I don't know if that's what people like, or maybe that's not punk rock to like have like record labels picking up. Like, I, I wish I could start a record label in Detroit. If I had the money, I would. I would start putting out records. I feel like that would be my next thing in life. Speaking of labels, I mean, as as Detroit acts go, you guys got major label attention. Your work with the Dat Sons had V2 and the Von Bondies. You know, they stand out. Did big label involvement kind of change the dynamic of that scene at all for you? I think so. Yeah, because we were on Sire Warner Brothers. Mm-hmm. And um, they definitely wanted to hear a sound. And I mean, large record labels go off of what's popular. And I think, you know, I can't totally speak for the whole band thing but i felt like they were kind of trying to push us to have like a certain type of hit mm-hmm. that yeah. we were like you know just like us how we are you know i think that happens a lot with bands and that's definitely not something like that pressure put on you that can definitely eat at you and make it really hard to make something creative when you know you started out being in like an 18 year old just creating some punk rock and then all of a sudden like years later it's like okay you're supposed to make something that fits in with the genres that are popular right like just stupid like the dumbest thing like why why would you do that to any band that you signed that you liked their music and you're saying like can you work with maybe this songwriter or can you make something that's kind of more like this that can be put into this like little space of i don't know i mean i would even argue that come on come on was probably like pretty pretty commercially accessible at that time
But like, it also reminds me of um, the Go and what happened to them with Sub Pop. And Sub Pop supposedly is like this cool, hip, like we're with it, you know, Nirvana, right, guys? You know, yeah, sort of label. But then they kind of dicked them over in a, in a similar way to kind of what you're describing. They wanted to hear like a certain <laughs> type of like sound. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, which is why the second kind of album, not why, but it was a part of it, uh, why it kind of fell off they really wanted to push a certain sound and specifically they wanted like what was in the demos and stuff bobby had a lot to say about that uh <laughs> yes he did yeah but that said uh you know we talked to somebody else in a previous part of this episode terry from atlantic records who talked a lot about marketing specifically women and how there is a lot of shaping to kind of make it fit a certain mold to sell more records, obviously. There's a big push to do that. And it's weird to do that to a Detroit band, specifically in, like during that time, because there's a lot of, like you said, it's a, it's a lot about being yourself and creative, and it's got that D- Detroit punk rock grit. Yeah, I mean, no one is going to want to be shaped with their art. I mean, there's a difference between like critiquing which is fine. There's like positive and negative critiquing and, you know, you can take it with a grain of salt or you can take it as like, all right, cool. I agree with you. I could do that a little bit more, but you can't like force something upon somebody because it's going to just make them not going to want to do it or they're not going to come out with their best stuff. I mean, but there are bands that have done you know, stuff for record labels were like, it was kind of like a big fuck you, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. like this is, here's our record. And it was like all noise or something, which actually could be cool too. Who knows? And might be something that a collector would want to buy. I, I, I don't know, but just forcing something upon an artist and saying like, this is what we want to hear from you whatever like they don't hear a hit song blah 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 like okay keep going but in our case they wanted to get like a songwriter to work with us and it was like hell no right Mm. that's insulting yeah a lot of big bands in the music industry on major labels there's lots of different songwriters you know like someone will write a song for miley cyrus or like blah 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 blah. there's always songwriters writing songs for artists and bands you know they wanted to do something like that for us you know because we're you know young like in our 20s like here's some songs for you guys to go out and play like ew no (laughs) play anyone else's songs yeah so it just got really like confusing after a while like i couldn't handle it anymore i just wanted to work on my own stuff and be able to do what i wanted to do and i don't you know i don't think any other detroit bands you know like stooges mc5 like ever had any songwriters and like look at what's happening with their music sales and whatever like people love them like you don't want to like dilute it or convolute it or whatever to turn into something else when it's like it's the artist like you know would van gogh have someone come in and be like oh i think you should like here let me help you paint this 
a little bit different to make it so the masses like it more. Right. Something yeah, that, like it seems like something like that. It's just like you can't can't do that. I can't imagine Iggy would take kindly to anybody telling him to sing <laughs> no. somebody else's music. No. <laughs> Unless you're like collaborating or co- right. co- or covering. Right, which is what he had with Bowie. Like that's different versus Yeah. He would slather himself in peanut butter and throw himself into the man before he does that. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. The early 2000s is definitely like a more lawless time of um, being able to do what you want and uh, people coming to move to Detroit. Like people were moving here from like Los Angeles and New York just to like hang out and bring their bands with them and live in cheap housing and have, you know, cars without insurance and like drive home from the bar without having to worry about a cop pulling you over. Stuff like that. I was delighted to find out that you participated in the Seeger Liberation. I had no idea that you did that. I, I was looking at this and I saw backing vocals with you. I think your name's spelled wrong, actually. So you might want to contact Potter and give him a <laughs> oh, send, no. him, send him a strongly worded <laughs> message of some kind. Um, but I was wondering, you know, that came out in 2016, and I know there was earlier Seeger stuff. But can you tell us a little bit about the vibe? In 2016, you know, like back together with the gang. I don't know if your vocals were flown in for that or if you were actually in the studio with everybody, but what's yeah, the vibe? Yeah, we were in Diamonds. Yeah. So what's, what was the vibe like today as opposed to back then? I mean, is this, I would imagine it's sort of like an old friends kind of getting together sort of deal. But uh, Well, those vocals were actually recorded um, back in the early 2000s. Man, really? <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Well, never yeah, mind. Yeah, it was then. at Jim, Di- Jim Diamond's <laughs> old studio. So ghetto I guess recorders? it just wasn't. Yeah, Ghetto Recorders downtown Detroit, Ben State Theater. Um, so I guess they just didn't release it till now. But yeah, but it was a party. It was yeah. a party. There was just like a bunch of people like hanging out in the studio, like having beers, laughing, having so much fun, and. I still see it as the same. I feel like if you're a musician, you're always going to have like that little kid in you that's like having fun, like playing guitar riffs and laughing and like talking about music and gear and being nerdy about stuff like the stuff you like. And yeah, yeah, I don't know. I think like being an artist musician keeps you young. 
Yeah. Like you always just have that little kid excitement inside of you. So I'm just really glad that I chose a route of kind of rebelling against my parents and going to band <laughs> practice. And, <laughs> and now I do that going to LA sometimes. Like my parents are like, Oh, you can't really afford to go. And I'm like, I'll, I'll make it happen. <laughs> I'll make it happen. But, um, <laughs> so now I'm doing that, but I'm, I need to keep it at home too. Cause you know, it's got to stay alive here. Yeah. So I can't like, take all my energy out of town. <laughs> especially um, uh, LA has plenty of energy. They don't need any more. There's lots yeah. of, yeah, there's lots of cocaine yeah. there. Yeah. I mean, oh my gosh. I'm, I'm near don't Philly now. <laughs> I'm near Philly now. We could use it, but we're, we're also, we've got that Detroit grit uh, going for us. I think, I feel like we've got some underdog spirit here. Um, yeah. You have um, Kelsey, Kelsey Cork. Mm-hmm. And Philly. And- And we got uh, like low cut Connie is is Philly too, which they're they've got that kind of that 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 spirit to it also. Yeah, um, Kelsey's but, awesome. She's mm-hmm. a redhead, lovely lady, a friend of mine that's making some great music in Philly. Let's shout it out now. Why not? Let's we could play Kelsey Cork. Yeah. <laughs> um, and what you were saying about. Um, everybody just having fun and, and kind of enjoying the vibe of it all. It's, it sounds like that happened uh, a lot with, with Tom Potter. Uh, he, he seemed like the kind of person who could get people to just kind of chill and talk about music and get really fucking wasted. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, you don't always have to get wasted to have fun and play music. That's true. Actually, um, all, pretty much like most of the music I've written has been sober. Mm-hmm. You know, because, like, I don't, like, get wasted anymore, you know, get drunk anymore. But, um, like, the stuff that really worked out with my band and I, we were just, like, sitting around, like, you know, living life sober. Not to say that I didn't go out at shows and get drunk and have fun while I was playing. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I don't know. To each their own, though. I don't know. My brain just doesn't work well writing music if I'm drinking or, yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> me, I, I, Paul mentioned it earlier. Me and him are, are both in the arts business, and I, I'm an illustrator personally. And I, for a while, I was like, I was drinking, trying and trying to draw, and like my, it just, it made me sleepy, and it made me not want to do it anymore. And I, it's so like I had to like, kind of cut that 
part out of it. Like, I hear a lot of people talk about how much they drink and draw and stuff. And I'm like, I, I literally can't. Like, I just get tired. And I yeah. don't care about what I'm doing anymore. And I, I'll save yeah. that for another time. Um, yeah. I'm supposed to work on some paintings tonight. I have an art ooh. show. I have an art show um, in Detroit tomorrow night. So I have some paintings. I've been painting a little bit more. And I, um, I'm going to paint tonight and see if I can, can't can get, like, a few more things done or just, like, I don't know. Nice. Awesome. Finesse, like, some stuff that I already have. Oils, acrylics, what are you, what's your go-to? Um, I've been using acrylic. I've tried my hand at oil, but, um, I don't know, it drives me crazy that it doesn't dry right away. Mm-hmm. How long is the gallery up? Well, this one that I'm doing is called Edo Ramen. It's actually right outside of Detroit. But, um, yeah, I've done stuff for, like, different places in Detroit recently. So that's, like, kind of, like, my side thing that I've been doing again. Because I used to paint and draw a lot when I was 18 to, like, 23 years old. And then I just stopped doing it. And now I'm doing it again. So kind of trying to bring it back which is fun it's a fun little side thing yeah we'd love to include a link uh, to anyone who's in the detroit area who wants to visit i think this episode will be going up tomorrow okay. so uh yeah if you uh if you have any uh, links you want to pass along we're happy to do that uh, i did notice that you were also doing some design work in the music field these days you did some work with lidless eye right uh i guess i kind of did oh okay. um, <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> I don't know what I can take credit for, but he like worked on music at my, you know, tape designs at my house and stuff. We'll kind of uh, end it with, uh, you know, what, what you think the kind of temperature check is on where the music business is now in terms of kind of women and their role in, in current music. I know you were saying that there's, you know, a slight resurgence of rock music going on. Do you see kind of what you were seeing in the 90s and 2000s with women in music? What do you think the future kind of holds? Where do you see music going in that regard at the moment? I mean, people are always going to want to see women in music. It's inspiring, empowering. Who wouldn't want to see like a woman playing guitar and singing? So I think, I mean, obviously that's always going to be there and I hope it happens more in Detroit and there are some really great artists in Detroit maybe it might be a little harder on them because you know there's not like the money for touring and traveling that there was you know in the early 2000s when I was doing it it's a lot harder you have to I feel like you have to work a lot harder as a musician definitely not as easy um, we were definitely one of the last lucky bands to get paid well and get tour support and blah, 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 blah. Merch was cheaper, like hiring yeah. people was cheaper. So it's it's a lot more work now. And I don't want to discourage anyone. I mean, it could possibly change too. It might just be like a glitch in the music system and we're going to find you know, something to move forward to where artists make money again. But I definitely feel like artists aren't making money like they used to, which is really sad because in other countries, they 
give more credit to artists and pay them more and love them more, I feel like, than they do in America. I just love like the women that are making music in Detroit. I'm so happy to have them and that they're pushing forward and I see something good happening. I'm I, I can I can foresee there's gonna be some good stuff going on, especially now that COVID is lifting up a little bit. Yeah. And people are coming out more. And maybe I need to be more of a part of it again. Maybe I need to like get my gears, you know, oiled again and start thinking about it more and helping out as well i mean i think just by making art you're already doing Maybe that. you guys <laughs> lit a fire under my butt right now <laughs> well, we would of, <laughs> of course well you're in a car so we hope we didn't do that but um uh oh, the world needs more marcy bolin music marcy and i'm looking at you through my steering wheel <laughs> <laughs> It's fine. I'm in a basement right now, so it's it's all good. <laughs> uh, Marcy, thank you so much for joining us yeah, today. It was such guys. a pleasure. Um, yeah, well, I hope I answered your questions, and thank you for having me on. You guys are really sweet, and um, yeah, that was fun. Thank you so much. Uh, we're we're huge fans, and we really appreciate it. And yeah, keep keep making kick ass art, and keep making kick ass music. Oh, thank you guys. Paul, do we want to look for a home? Yeah. Well, at the end of every episode, we say where we're going to be looking for a home in the honor of the folk song Bull Weevil. So, for example, today I will be looking for a home in a stable internet connection. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I will be looking for a home on a Reddit thread that is not full of assholes. <laughs> Kate, where will you be looking for a home? I will be looking for a home just with more women driven music. Like this has been a really fun podcast to be a part of. And um, I have already pulled up lady T the difference hey. on my Spotify. <laughs> got a new listener. So yeah, I'll be looking for a home with just to be surrounded by more women who are, who are doing it. Excellent. Terry. I am easily just looking for a home where eggs are back at three ninety nine. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah i forgot los angeles is at seven yeah, bucks right exactly oh. just give me some eggs for 3.99 i'll be happy okay you're, you're gonna see some motherfuckers on the street being like you want some quiche <laughs> <laughs> my god all right thank you so much all both right, to both of you The Third Man Podcast was created, edited, and produced by Paul and James Kaminsky. Our theme song, We're the Third Men, was recorded by the band Radkey, who can be found at radkey.net. To contact the show, visit thirdmenpodcast.com or email thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at the third men underscore podcast on Instagram, at third men cast on Twitter, and search the third men on Facebook. Thanks to our Patreon patrons, to everyone who has rated, reviewed, and subscribed, and see you next time.
Hey everybody, Paul here with a quick message for you. As James and I mentioned many times on the show, this podcast is 100% not-for-profit and a labor of our love for music. We pride ourselves in bringing you interesting, timely content as we have these past 100-plus episodes. Podcasting is, however, a weirdly expensive process, and we actually lose money on hosting, time, equipment, advertising, and all the other little things that we need to do to make these shows for you. So, to help break even on some expenses like those, James and I have set up a Patreon account where you can, if you like, chip in a few bucks to help keep the lights on. It can be as much or as little as you can swing, and all donations are greatly appreciated. The last thing we want to do is hound anybody for cash, so just know that listening to our show is always payment enough, but if you would like to help us out, that would be amazing. All right. It's all from me. Remember, you can head to patreon.com slash thirdmenpodcast and a huge thank you to everyone who's donated already. All right, everybody. I'll see you on the show. And I'm Wayne Kaminsky. You are all invited to join us on a magical mystery trip through the lives of the Beatles every week on the Yesterday and Today podcast. This show details the chronological journey of the world's most famous band using music, interviews, and rarities collected since the debut of John, Paul, George, and Ringo onto the world stage. We're a fan-made production and we're available now on iTunes and wherever you find your podcasts. So sit back, relax, and download the stream. We hope you will enjoy the show. Sometimes it drives me crazy 